the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, sir. It is indeed the already good morning, seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock, and we are underway on a Wednesday. It's the seventh morning of the seventh month of the year of our Lord, 2021. Coming up on the program this morning in about a half an hour, we're going to talk to Steve Moore, former economic advisor to President Donald J. Trump, and we're going to talk about all of the issues we're dealing with right now, including inflation impacting our gas prices, inflation uh, inflation impacting our food prices, inflation impacting building materials, and thus the ability to uh, build homes, uh, buy homes, etc., What's causing all of this? And how are people on fixed incomes going to deal with the higher prices that the Biden economy is forcing upon us? Steve Moore will join us to talk about all of that at 9.35. Then at 10.10, Jack Windsor is back with us. Jack is a State House correspondent covering uh, the State House for us at WHK. But he is also now running his own news network. The Ohio Press Network is live. And his first story, I think it might be his first story, I'll have to ask him is about the Vaximillions disaster here in the state of Ohio. Mike DeWine gave away $5 million to five individuals, $1 million to each, uh, in the vaccination lottery. He gave away five full Ohio state school scholarships to teenagers who were vaccinated. And now the word was, and I think they may have shelved this for the time being, that they were ready to move into cars. Going to vax, or vax, going to, uh, raffle off uh, cars to those who are vaccinated, all in an attempt to increase the vaccination rate here in the state of Ohio. Well, a new study is out proving it was useless. It was a massive waste, this uh, lottery idea of his, of taxpayer dollars. Whether they be federal taxpayer dollars or Ohio taxpayer dollars is irrelevant because we pay both. Waste of dollars. 
And we'll talk to Jack Windsor about that story and that study coming up at 10.10. So Steve Moore at 9.35, Jack Windsor at 10.10. The rest of the time belongs to you and me. Uh, dial when ready, 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Don't forget, if you can't get through on the air live and you would like to leave a message for the show, we will record those messages and play them back and comment on them if need be at the authority message line, 216-525-1806. So keep those in mind. What do you say we start our day, as we always do, with a pause for the Pledge of Allegiance? Patriots, stand, face your flag if you have one. Put your hand over your heart if you don't. Liberals, take your knee. Go ahead and swear under your breath. Do whatever it is you do whenever we do anything that is patriotic because we know how much you hate this country. We've been listening to you. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty, and justice for all. Yeah, keep that in mind. When liberals tell you that they hate this country, uh, it's it's best if we go ahead and believe them. They're not telling us because they don't believe it. They're telling us because they do believe it. And we see it time and time again. Not even in... Somebody said on, uh, on a Facebook post about this the other day. It was yesterday said that, yeah, but they're so backhanded about the way they hate this country that they can make an argument that they don't. And I said, no, they're not backhanded. They're not underhanded. They're not hiding it. They're being brazen about it. They're being open. They're just saying we hate this racist country. They're literally saying this country is a racist country. It's a slave-holding country. Black people aren't free. White people are all racist. All of this nonsense. They're literally telling you that the 4th of July is nothing to them because nobody is really free, or at least people of color aren't really free. We declared our independence, but we're not actually independent, blah, 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 blah. They hate this country. And when they tell you that, don't argue with them. Just say, I get it. You hate this country. The only question then that should really logically follow is why are you still here? Why is the massive crush of bodies at our border only on the way in? And why is the vast majority of the people who are at the border trying to get in, why are those people people of color? Why are they continuing to try to swarm into the United States of America, a place that is so wantonly and openly racist and supremacist, a slave-holding nation, still, according to members of the United States Congress like Cory Bush and Maxine Waters? Why are they trying to get into this country so desperately if this country so desperately treats uh, people of color uh, you know, in horrible manners? Why are you still here? In fact, why aren't the vast majority of people of color in the United States just flocking to the border the other direction? Saying, Mexico, take me in. I'm being persecuted for my race here in in the uh, United States. I need asylum from the United States of American government. I need asylum. Take me in, Mexico, until you can transport me to another state, another nation that is better that has more opportunities for me as a person of color than the United States does. Why why isn't that happening? I'll never understand that. Why aren't people like Cori Bush, 
and Maxine Waters and others who believe this, why isn't every Black Lives Matter activist, why aren't they flocking to the northern border saying, Canada, take me in, take me in, I we seek asylum? Maybe it's the name of Canada that keeps them away. It's called the Great White North, kind of. Uh, maybe that keeps them out. But why aren't they trying to get somewhere else if it's so doggone bad here? When they tell you they hate this country, it's time to believe them. See, I just went Joe Biden on you there. It's time to believe them. All right, let me get into the top stories of the day. That wasn't one of them. That was just more of a riff. Joe Biden says, if you don't make your appointment to go and get your vaccine, don't worry about it. We will bring the vaccine to you. And when you hear a little at your door, roll up your sleeve because Uncle Joe is uh, is on your doorstep with a visit. A special focus on five ways to make gains in getting those of you who are unvaccinated vaccinated. Because here's the deal. We are continuing to wind down the mass vaccination sites that did so much in the spring to rapidly vaccinate those eager to get their first shot and their second shot for that matter if they needed a second. Now we need to go to community by community, neighborhood by neighborhood, and oftentimes door to door, literally knocking on doors to get help to the remaining people protected from the virus. We're going to come knocking on doors, door to door, to get help to the remaining people who are still in danger by the virus. Um, I'm going to state the obvious here. Number one is federal government, you have exactly 0.0 rights to come to my door to try to force a vaccine upon me or my family. As much as your far-left party believes that the United States is not a free state, is not a free nation. It actually is. And part of our freedom is our freedom to decide what we put into our body and what we do not. And that includes your little poison stab. Oh, I'm sorry, I don't want to declare it as being poison. Your little potentially poisonous stab that is causing so many problems for so many people, including and up to death that is growing the heart size of teenagers through myocarditis, we still live in a free state. We still have a right to decide whether or not we take this poison, I'm sorry, this medication of yours or not. We have the right to make that decision for ourselves. And guess what? Millions and millions of people have decided, yep, I want it. And to them, I salute and say, good on you. It's your body. It's your choice. But guess what? This one right here, this one is my body. And that makes this my choice. Dan Crenshaw agreed, tweeting that little speech of the president that I just played and commenting, how about don't knock on my door? You're not my parents. You're the government. Make the vaccine available and let people be free to choose. Why is that concept so hard for the left? And it is. It is every bit that. It is hard for them to believe. Because listen, if you're a leftist in America, you don't believe in freedom, period. You don't believe in liberty. You complain and say, how come we're not free? But the reality is you want a big, giant government, big daddy government, as I call it, 
to lord over the populace. Distributing to you land as they see fit, distributing to you wealth as they see fit, distributing to you food and rations as the big government sees fit, distributing to you money for your health care needs, distributing to you those health care needs directly, obviously door-to-door. They don't believe in liberty or freedom. So, you know, if you're a leftist in this country, honestly and truly, we know who you are, we know what you believe. And we've got news for you. The government is not your daddy. As much as you want it to be your daddy and my daddy, the government is not your daddy. I like that Dan Crenshaw used that. I've been using that phrase on radio for probably 15 years. Big daddy government is the Democrats' dream. They'll tell you when to take your medicine. They'll tell you how much of it you can have. They'll tell you what time to go to bed. They'll tell you what to do when you get up. Big daddy government totalitarian-style government is what the Democrats wish for. And it's not, it's not legal, it's not, it's not uh, constitutional, it's not keeping, in, keeping within the framework of our constitutional republic. Redstate.com wrote, What authority, by what authority, does the federal government have the right to knock on the doors of those who haven't been vaccinated and pressure them to do so? I understand public service announcements. I do, I do too. I laugh at them, but I understand them. But this seems many levels beyond that. No one, especially someone from the government, should be going to people's houses to demand private medical decisions of them. Is the goal here just to hand out pamphlets? If so, then why not say that, instead of being so vague about the intentions at play? But as Ted Cruz advisor Omri Sarin notes, the other big question is exactly where these supposed door knockers are going to be getting their information from. Quote, This language is a lot more specific than what Saki used, and this is referencing the quote by Biden. So again, the obvious question is, is how do they have national household level data on vaccinations? Because they didn't, if they, they didn't get it from surveys, which are uh, uh, anonymized. And if it's just an expression, what is the actual policy about going door to door? Who's going to have the knowledge? And by what arguments are they going to try to convince people when they come to your doorstep to take to roll up your sleeve and take that shot? What medical uh, information, what science are they going to be using? And how do people know that what they're hearing is accurate and true? And is that same message going to be used? Will there be a script to be read by the door knockers? I'm just going to tell you this. Uncle Joe... You show up at my door with that needle in your hand, or if one of your surrogates shows up at my door with that needle in your hand, you should think twice about knocking. You might not like what is awaiting for uh, what is waiting for you on the other side. I'm just going to tell you that directly. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five triple eight and two eight one eleven ten. The numbers to join us. Get in now because I got guests coming on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Okay, 924, we continue on this Wednesday. Steve Moore, former economic advisor to the president, President Donald Trump, will be joining us at 935, talk about inflation and what the Biden economy is doing right now. I just got a message from the politically incorrect mechanic who is spot on. This is why they want you to uh, register your guns. 
This vaccination door-to-door plan is exactly why they have been pushing for a national gun registry. Because if they know who's got the guns, they know which doors to knock on when it's time for gun confiscation. And don't think for one second this is just right-wing talking points on conservative talk radio. Ah, they're not coming for our guns. If you really don't believe that they're coming for your guns, then you are in for a rude awakening. Why do you think Joe Biden made a point of telling you that your guns will be useless against us anyway? Because unless you've got F-15s and nuclear weapons, we'll win. He would be willing to nuke the American population if that's what it took, if we fought back against them. And this is, this is, the, this is the British crown on steroids. I was watching a documentary on Sunday. It's actually a nine-part documentary called The Story of Us. And it literally takes us from the Revolutionary War and our liberty to where we are today. It's a really fantastic series. And it gives you a lot of information. And it talked about how um, the colonials, the patriots, stockpiled and hid and stored their weapons when it became obvious and it became evident that there was going to have to be armed conflict if we were ever going to get freedom and get a fair shake from the British crown. We were going to have to declare our independence. We were going to have to fight them because as soon as we even started thinking about it, they started attacking. They started patrolling. They took over Boston, occupied Boston with with, uh, British regulars. And it was an amazing story about how firearms were protected when they came looking to gather up the firearms and destroy them, how they were hidden, and some of the brilliant strategies that were, you know, there was no texting, there was no Internet. They had to find a way to get messages from town to town and, and, and colony to colony among the 13 colonies when the British were coming to take the guns. It was really remarkable. But they did it then. And do not think for one second that this government headed by socialist Marxist tyrants who also, why do you think Andrew Cuomo just declared, he issued an executive order in New York declaring a state of emergency on gun violence, not criminal violence, gun violence. Why do you think the left is constantly demonizing the weapon and not the weapon holder? They're so disingenuous when they say, oh my gosh, look at the crime wave in New York. Look at how many people are being shot. It's a wave of gun violence. That's all they will attribute it to. Not criminal violence, because if they say that it is criminal violence, which it is, they'll have to acknowledge the fact that they're the ones who are letting the criminals out of jail. They're the ones who are defunding the police who stop criminals. Guns aren't the problem. Guns are inanimate objects. Focusing on them only serves to disarm the law-abiding people, making them easier targets for the law-breaking people. It's not gun violence, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, AOC, Lori Lightfoot, Gavin Newsom, Andrew Cuomo. It's thug violence. It's criminal violence. But they want to focus on the guns because that that will be their argument. When after they do the testing round of 
Hi, federal government here. We'd like to give you your vaccine. Then they'll be much more efficient when it's... Hi, federal government here. Please surrender your firearm. I promise you, the PIM is right. My friend Charlie is right. This is a testing ground. This is, this is kind of a dry run for when it comes time. And that's, again, why any legislature, statewide or the United States Congress, starts talking about gun registrations as part of, quote, common sense gun reform. That's what they always say. It's just common. Nobody's trying to take your guns. We just want to register them. We want to make sure that we know who has them. Because, you know, we don't want them to be in the wrong hands. Of course, to the federal government, the wrong hands are your hands. They're my hands. It's anybody's hands that's not them. It's anybody's hands that might pose a threat to their authority, to their tyranny. So anytime you ever hear of a legislature talking about a registration, a gun registry, Know full well that that's because they want to know which doors, just like they're, they know probably which doors to knock on right now for the vaccine. But this is a dry run. Make no mistake about it. 216-901-0945, It's 9.30. We'll get news. We'll come back and talk to uh, Steve Moore, former advisor to uh, President Donald J. Trump on AM 1420. The answer. Okay, 9.34, we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks for being with us. Don't forget Jack Windsor coming up after the top of the hour to talk about the waste of time and money that was Mike DeWine's Vaximillions in the state of Ohio. It's over, and now the numbers are in. It did nothing to dramatically increase at all the rate of Ohioans, uh, or the rate of vaccination for Ohioans. So we'll get to that at 10.10. Right now, let's talk about the rate of inflation, which is a much bigger problem. Uh, in Joe Biden's economy thus far, only five months in, what are we seeing? Well, we're seeing uh, gas prices hiked. We're seeing food prices hiked. We're seeing building materials hiked. What's causing all of this and how are we supposed to? How are, how are people on fixed income supposed to deal with this is a better question. And to answer it, let's ask Steve Moore. Steve Moore is a former economics advisor to President Donald J. Trump, joining us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Steve, good morning. How are you, sir? Hey, Bob. I'm doing well. Thank you very much. All right, so, you know, there's no doubt, you know, a lot of people are saying this is the beginning of the next Carter administration because of what we saw in terms of uh, gas shortages, gas lines, increased prices, uh-huh. and so on and so forth. Is that, an, is that a, an exaggeration, do you think? Well, do you want the good news or bad news first? Uh, give me the good. I need some good. <laughs> okay. The good news is the American economy right now is a rocket ship. I mean, this is amazing. We've got 800,000 jobs uh, in the report that just came out on Friday. You know, we have the best stock market, you know, in, his, in history. I mean, NASDAQ is through the roof, S&P 500. Anybody who owns a uh, retirement fund, you know, your, your asset values are just going through the roof. It's a wonderful thing to see. America is number one in the world, number one in the world in terms of coming out of COVID uh, with the, in the best shape with respect to our economy. Uh, that's not just me speaking. Bloomberg did, did a big study on this. Uh, so, you know, it makes you proud to be an American. We've done a better job than any other country. Obviously, Trump deserves the most credit for that, but I'll give some credit to Biden as well for a good, um, you know, rollout of the uh, vaccine. But, of course, we wouldn't have the vaccine if it were not for Donald J. Trump. So the point I'm making is there's only one factor right now that's overriding everything else, and that's the, the vaccine. 
the vaccine is is allowing us to get back to work, our small businesses to get reopened. People are now going, you know, amusement parks, they're going to malls, they're going on airlines, they're going on even cruises. So they, it, that's a fa- fantastic thing. I, I really believe, by the way, that in a, in a just world, um, uh, Donald Trump would get the Nobel Prize uh, for what he has done in, th- in terms of this vaccine will save millions and millions of lives throughout the world. So that's the good well, news. hold on. Before you go to the bad news, before you go to the bad news, let me just kind of uh, jump in on that for a second here. You're not, you're not, um, who was it uh, who said yesterday, uh, or in the Washington Post, Dr. Uh, Lily Wen, I can't remember, she's a former Planned Parenthood director, wrote an op-ed for the Washington Post just two days ago saying it's time for Biden to consider mandating the vaccine for everybody. You don't believe that there should be a, a, a mandatory vaccination policy in this country, do you? Oh, no. No, no, not at all. I mean, I believe more, more than anything, personal freedom. And, and uh, you know, the fact is that I, I think people should get vaccinated, but I don't think you should be required to. And by the way, the fact that I don't, if you get vaccinated and I don't, that has ne- no negative effect on you, right? I mean, if you're worried about COVID, get vaccinated. And then you don't have to worry about whether I've been vaccinated. That's the thing I don't understand. The NEA, for example, saying, well, maybe we're not going to open up the schools in the fall uh, because some of the kids might not be vaccinated. Well, if the teachers are vaccinated, it doesn't make any difference. Right? Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, so this is this is a bogus argument, uh, and I, I feel very strongly that you can't force people to uh, take the vaccine. Well, that that that's uh, the reason I asked you when you came out. Was, yeah, when you when you come out in such strong support of it, Steve. That's the reason I asked because also just yesterday, Saki and Biden both said that uh, we're we're talking about putting door to door teams together to go into every American community and knock on your door with a needle. Uh, and I'm I'm just I'm I'm terrified. I, 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 that, that is well, governmental uh, overreach yeah. to the level that I can't. I, I don't oh, think I we've th- seen. I'm in 100 percent agreement, and, I, and this is important. And by the way, I'm not an <laughs> epidemiologist. I'm not a I'm not a health official. I'm an economist, but I will say this: that you know, we've done a lot of work at the Committee on Life Prosperity over the last year on, you know, on, on COVID and the economic and health implications. In what is um, very, I shouldn't say 100 percent, but it's it's very very likely that for a child under the age of 15, that the risk of having the vaccine is much higher than um, not having it. Agreed. If you're over the age of if you're over the age of 25, you should get the vaccine. But look, nobody's really, hey, this is so frustrating to me. This is an old person's disease, right? This is, a, this is a virus that affects old people. We should have never shut down the American economy. All we should have done is kept, keep old people safe. And, you know, it's like trying to stop Alzheimer's by, you know, uh, keeping, uh, you know, 15-year-olds sequestered. I mean, the, the whole right. thing didn't make any sense. And so, uh, so in my opinion... Children should not be vaccinated, and people over the age of 25, let's say to 65, you know, probably should. And if you're over the age of 65, you definitely should get vaccinated. Probably, prob- probably, with, probably with the notable exception of the millions and millions and millions of Americans who have already had it and have the natural Well, antibodies. that's a great point, too, because that's like being vaccinated, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly right. And, in fact, more studies have been done showing people who have already had COVID and have the antibodies who get the vaccine are getting sicker than ever because it's, it's too much. Essentially, there's, there's too much yeah. of the, uh, the, uh, you know, the antibody-slash-mRNA uh, uh, right. uh, materials that are causing people to get sick. But, anyway, right. okay. back to so the let, economy. So you gave us the, the good news, news. <laughs> now the bad. <laughs> let me get to the bad news now. So the good news is the economy's doing really well, and I think it will continue to do well through the rest of this year. Um, the bad news is, what is everything happening in Washington is, is just a catastrophe. <laughs> I mean, the, the, Biden's budget has six 
trillion, not, not, I didn't say six billion, six trillion dollars of new spending, okay? Three trillion dollars of new taxes. And are you ready for this, Bob? Twenty trillion dollars over the next decade. Twenty, the next decade, twenty trillion dollars of debt. Twenty trillion. This is going to bankrupt our country, folks. This is the most dangerous, unprecedented raid on fiscal sanity in the history of the United States. I don't care if you're a Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative. This is insanity. This is insanity. And we are going to spend decades and decades and decades having to repay this massive debt. We, what we're doing to our children and grandchildren is an outrage. And we are seeing, you know, so if you're concerned about the inflation rate, which I think most people are. By the way, how did Biden come up with this idea that Fourth of July was less expensive this year than last year? You see that? <laughs> 16 cents for a hot dog, I think. Uh, <laughs> we <were trying> to... <laughs> what the hell is he talking about? That guy's got to go to a grocery store. He's got to get in the car and go to a gas station. You know, where I live, we're paying three fifty nine a gallon now for gasoline. It was it was two fifty nine just about six months ago. So anyway, uh, inflation is a problem. The debt and, and the massive spending are a problem. Uh, the assault on American energy are a problem. Uh, we, what we re- need right now from Washington, you know what we need? Just don't, just get the hell out of the way. Steve, um, what's the current debt? I mean, is, is, is the current that? national debt around $28, billion, trillion, right? Isn't that where we are yes. currently? So we're talking about yes. adding almost double, almost doubling yes. the current national debt in the next 10 yes. years. And, and now this is a legitimate question. I would ask this of a Republican representative or a Democratic econ- uh, economist or anybody else. Um, at what point is, is it going to come that we say, who cares? Because I feel like we're already there. I remember when we were pushing up on twenty trillion dollars when Obama was president. We were like, "Oh my God, twenty trillion dollar debt! When are we going to pay this down? And what will the impact if we don't?" Well, we didn't pay it down. We weren't particularly fiscally responsible when it comes to the debt, even under President Trump. And we're not now. So the question is: Is what what does that mean to the average American? Look, let me be clear on this. Both parties are responsible for this. You know, this mass. When I came to Washington in nineteen eighty, when I came to Washington in nineteen eighty five. The debt was a little over two trillion. Now it's what thirty-five years later, it's thirty. <laughs> now we're at fifty. I mean, so you know, have you heard of this idea, Bob, that's gaining uh, a lot of currency on the college campuses among the you know college faculty, mostly at second-rate universities? Have you heard of this thing called modern monetary theory? I have not. So my, you're going to hear a lot more about this because this is what Biden believes in. And this is these dingbat liberal economic professors who say the United States can just, as long as we're the global currency, which we are, the dollar is the global currency, we have a license. We can just borrow and borrow and borrow and borrow and borrow till kingdom come. And we don't have to worry about it. Now, that's insanity, right? I mean, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, but they, these people really believe it. And they say we can just, we can keep doing this. And, and uh, it's just, it, it's, it is, it's like saying, you know, if you jump out of the window in the 92nd floor of a building and, you know, when you're at the 8th floor, someone says, how's it going? So, oh, this is wonderful. It's fantastic. <laughs> and then you on the, on the sidewalk. And so uh, there is, let me put it like this. The story of a country whose debt is larger than its entire GDP, which is the United States, that story does not have a happy ending. You show me anywhere in the world so- where that works. So how, Steve Moore, I'm just really going to take advantage of this opportunity to ask you these things now while you're here. 
uh, how does how do we still qualify as an economic superpower if what you just said is true? And it is. I believe you. We well, our, de- our debt is much more than our GDP. Uh, how are we still yeah. a superpower? And also, this part part two of that question is, is again until our debtors come to us with a due bill. Why, why, why does it matter to anybody? Until they call that debt in and say, you got to pay all of this back now or in this structured period of time uh, or else, what is the or else? What, are they, what, what can our debtors do to us? Well, you know, there's a lot there. I mean, I could give you a whole semester seminar on that <laughs> subject, but I'll say... I mean, our creditors, that, excuse me. You know, yeah. you look at, look at, just look at around the world. Look at Argentina, look at Venezuela, look at, look at uh, Uruguay, look at Zimbabwe, look at all these countries that tried to borrow and borrow. Look at Germany after World War One. Remember the stories where you literally have to take a wheelbarrow full of, uh, full of money to go buy a loaf of bread because the currency was so depleted. And that, like, I'm not saying we're getting there, but we are still the least rotten apple in the cart. And, you know, because these other countries are borrowing like crazy, too. But uh, it's a very worrisome thing because, you know, it used to be said, remember, people used to say, oh, we don't have to worry about the debt because we owe it to ourselves. Remember that line? Yeah. Well, guess what? Uh, we do owe a lot of the debt to ourselves. But guess who else owns a lot of our debt? China, Japan. China. <laughs> I mean, you want to be the debtor or the creditor? You know, I mean... We're going to owe, our children are going to owe the children of China trillions of dollars. Does that yeah. sound like a smart thing? No, it doesn't. And, and I, think, I think Japan, is, doesn't Japan hold more of our debt even oh, than yeah, China? Oh, Japan and the Saudis. The, the yeah. Saudis own a lot of it. Uh, yeah. you know, so we're going to be, uh, you know, all the money is going to flow out of the United States. Look, I'm not trying to be apocalyptic. I still think there's, if we can just, just stop spending. The worst thing we could do right now is spend another $2 trillion on a crazy... Green New Deal and, and what is it, the social infrastructure, all this new welfare programs. Let's just get back to normal. Usually, look, it's appropriate for the government to borrow during crisis, which we had in COVID. But after every, every crisis, whether it's the Civil War, World War One, World War II, the Great Depression, you know, whatever it is, after the crisis is over, you actually cut government spending, right? You cut government spending. This is the first time we're actually increasing the government spending when the crisis is over. Well, you know, you're, you're, you're spot on, obviously. And by the way, when you mentioned the Green New Deal, uh, if I remember right, when that first when thing was first proposed by Kamala in the Senate and AOC in the House, didn't it have like a $90 trillion price tag on it to implement it in its entirety? $93 trillion, I, don't rem- I, think was I don't remember, but I do remember that we all laughed. I mean, it's amazing how times have changed. You know, a year or two ago, we were just laughing at the craziness of this idea. And now we have a president who, I mean, I'm just shocked. I don't know about you, but how far to the left Joe Biden has moved. I mean, he he makes. I mean, Joe Biden makes Barack Obama look like Ronald Reagan. Well, Joe, that's <laughs> because that's, that's because Joe Biden is sleeping and that he's not calling the shots. I think we all know this. He is yeah. not in any way, shape, or form responsible for all of this. He just nods along. You saw him when he was at the ice cream yeah. shop and somebody asked him about the the ransomware yeah. from the Russians. He had to reach into his pocket yeah. and pull out a note to see what the note to see what they told him yeah. because he couldn't remember it. He's, he was reading from yeah. a piece of paper and saying, "I have ordered on the full the full uh, you know uh, entirety of the of the U.S. government to blah blah blah." You needed to look that up to know if you. Did did something he's not, <laughs> exactly. he's not making he's yeah, not making that, any decisions that doesn't inspire a lot of content all right bob i got it Ron, great okay to be with you. let's do it again soon thank you steve i appreciate it Thanks. and steve moore former uh, uh economics uh, advisor economic advisor to president donald trump yeah i i wasn't mistaken by the way i have it in front of me the sweeping new deal green new deal proposed by aoc in the house and commie harris in the senate 
would cost as much as $93 trillion, or approximately $600,000 per American household, according to a new study co-authored by the former director of the CBO. That's the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office. So this isn't just some conservative in some room, some think tank saying, ah, those radical liberal nuts, it's going to cost $93 trillion. No, this is the former director of the CBO said this is a $93 trillion plan. Is, is, you, you can't conceive of that, by the way. You just can't. It's not, it's not within the scope of our ability, our mental acuity. I don't think any of us to be able to really to fathom what $93 trillion looks like. You ever see those things online Well, they'll put like a pallet of, of cash, like stacked up $20 bills to show you what a million dollars look like, and then right next to it they'll do the same thing with a billion dollars, and you're just like, oh, my God, it like goes to the moon? Put, put a pallet of bills stacked a trillion dollars high next to that, and then do that 93 times. You can't fathom it. It's just impossible. That's why so many people just kind of shrug their shoulders and say, oh, I don't care. I just got to worry about paying my taxes and, and uh, paying my utility bills and, and doing my own thing. They don't care about the bigger picture because it's kind of hard for them to wrap their brains around it, including myself. That's the reason I asked Steve Moore for those, uh, uh, those uh, very important questions. All right, it's 9.50. We'll take a short time out here. We'll come back in, get a couple of phone calls before Windsor after the top of the hour on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 9.55 now. Got a couple of minutes here before the top of the hour. Um, so we were talking before Steve Moore came on about um, you know gun violence. That's what the left likes to call it. It's always gun violence. Whenever there's a massive violent crime spike, they say gun violence, gun violence, rather than criminal violence or thug violence or violence that we can't stop anymore because we defunded our police violence. Uh, they just call it gun violence. That way they can blame the guns inanimate objects. I told you about Andrew Cuomo has declared, issued an executive order in New York declaring a state of emergency due to gun violence. It's so much crap. The reason why there's so much violence by criminals, whether they're using guns or not, is because they have completely uh, given up on, on crime and punishment. In other words, they're not, uh, or they are uh, uh, not arresting people for so-called lesser crimes, including shoplifting. They're not allowed to pursue people who even commit violent crimes because that creates car chases. They have emboldened criminals to the point where they they know that even if they do happen to get arrested, they're probably going to be given no bail release, and then they go right back out there and commit more crimes until their day in court comes. It's happening all over the country. And it's happening here in the city of Cleveland, too. Let me share this with you. Currently, the city of Cleveland has suffered 87 homicides by this point, at this point, July 7th. 87 homicides. That's 22 higher than on this date last year. And guess what? Last year was a record number of homicides in the city of Cleveland. The city of Cleveland is currently the second most violent city in America if you break it down per capita, per 100,000 residents. Now, there's not as, there are not as many homicides in Cleveland, for example, as there are in Chicago or as there are in uh, you know Washington, D.C. or other places because the population is so much higher. But per 100,000 residents 
It's the second most violent city in America. Now, I have been told that, you know, when we talk about what it's going to take to stop this violent crime wave, and it's not about gun laws, it's not about knock, knock, knocking on your door and confiscating the guns from law-abiding citizens. That's not going to stop law-breaking citizens from committing unlawful acts, obviously. But um, we talk about, uh, you know, allowing the police to do their jobs and allowing the police to be uh, in full force. In other words, not defunding, but rather refunding police. Funding police again at the higher levels, or maybe the highest levels they've ever been, because that's the best way to deter crime. Put patrol officers in the streets, right? Well, in the city of Cleveland, in the time that it takes to graduate 70 rookies out of the police academy and get them onto the force, they will lose 120 to 150 cops to retirement or people leaving the the profession to go and do something else. Due to attrition, basically. So if you're scoring at home, that's a net 50 to 80 officer loss every year. Now, how on earth are they supposed to try to stop the violent crime wave and the criminals, not the guns, it's not about gun crime, gun violence, it's about criminal violence. How are they supposed to do that when there are less and less and less officers on the force each and every year? And by the way, City Councilman Blaine Griffin, who used to be uh, Frank Jackson's lackey uh, uh, when uh, you know before he got elected to city council, commented on the 189 homicides last year during COVID, which was again was a 38 year record. And the the last time that we had that many homicides in a single year was back when there were some 800 thousand people living living in Cleveland. But as Cleveland continues to dwindle and shrink and die, and it is there's roughly 350 thousand people in the city of Cleveland now. Used to be eight hundred thousand, but uh, you have to go back to it, it was eight hundred thousand to see a number of homicides like that. Uh, but Blaine Griffin um, said that the two hundred and fifty cops below the budgeted strength uh, is not the reason for the violent crime increase in the city of Cleveland. I, mean, I hope I didn't say that inaccurately. The budgeted strength, meaning there is a budget that has been approved by Cleveland City Council and by the mayor's office for a certain number number of police officers, right, to keep the city safe. That number right now is 250, or rather there are 250 fewer cops on the beat than are budgeted for. And Blaine Griffin, his explanation to that uh, for that is, well, the kids have been cooped up since COVID, that's why there's so many, uh, you know, so many shootings. That's why there's so many homicides. It's not the uh, 250 fewer budgeted cops. It's not uh, the 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 way the city of Cleveland polices. It's the kids were cooped up since COVID, so they came out blasting. Right? Yeah, COVID kept everybody on lockdown. So when they when the gates were open, boy, and the front door was open, they came out of firing. That's what it is. Well, the last time I checked, kids were cooped up in a lot of the other suburbs. And in fact, they were cooped up in the entire state of Ohio. Schools were closed. Only essential businesses were open. And they were closed up in suburbs all over this state. And guess what? When the kids, when the doors were unlocked, kids didn't come out firing. This is a Cleveland problem. This is a, quite frankly, an American urban center problem. It's a big Democrat-run city problem. 
in which violent crime will continue to spread as police officers are laid off, not hired, retire, not replaced, defunded, and then they have ridiculous laws like no bail arrests. No bail arrests for criminals who break the law. That's what's causing this problem. I'll get a time out now for news. We'll come back. Jack Windsor joins me on AM 1420.